Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups, no more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. It's hard to keep track of the developments in the Trump administration and questions about Russian connections and disclosures loom. We devote our entire podcast today to the administration and Russia and try to view the developing situation through a nuanced lens. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. So we're going to go a little freeform today. We're going to abandon the heels, which (laughs) is supposed to be a short segment. It's exceedingly and increasingly longer than the the pearls or the suit. So we're going to just skip both those today because it's been a week. It's been a week and a lot has happened. And we are just living in such unusual times right now that we thought we would pretty methodically go through the situation with the Trump administration and Russia. And to get us started, 
because, you know, I'm the exciting one of the bunch. <laughs> I thought that it would be good to do just like a mini primer on Russia itself. Um, I think for a lot of us, we hear things like KGB and Cold War, and it sounds bad, but we don't have a whole lot of context. So bear with me super quickly. Um, Russia is a lot larger than the United States in terms of land mass. It's not quite two times, but the United States population is about two times the population of Russia. So population density here in the United States is much greater. There is a huge difference in our nominal GDPs. So the United States has almost 17 times the GDP of Russia on a nominal basis. The point of that is our economy is a lot stronger. Russia has less debt as a country than the United States, though, and the Russian military is very well armed. Russia has more known nuclear warheads, both active and in total, than the United States. Feeling good so far, Sarah? Yeah, I'm following along. <laughs> like, feeling good about those nuclear warheads? <laughs> that's, where I, that's where my blood pressure starts to go up a little bit. Um, so... Vastly oversimplified history of our two countries is that following World War II, the United States and Russia were the two global superpowers. And we stayed in this constant state of political and military tension because of our positions in the world and our vastly different political and economic systems. Reagan and Gorbachev, so the two uh, sort of leaders of those countries in the late 80s started working together more. Mikhail Gorbachev in Russia started to really relax communist control, especially in Eastern Europe. And in 1989, Boris Yeltsin, the next leader of Russia, and George H.W. Bush declared that the Cold War was over. And I should say that Gorbachev and Yeltsin were actually the leaders of the Soviet Union or the USSR at that time. Boris Yeltsin generally had good relationships with George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. And so when the Cold War ended, Russia as it exists today was formed. So 1991. So we're really dealing with a relatively young country. There's a ton of history, but Russia in its current state is, is brand new compared to the United States. So fairly warm relations post-Cold War until Vladimir Putin comes along. So Putin became the president of Russia after Yeltsin resigned. He's a former KGB officer. KGB roughly translates to Committee for State Security, which is a military service overseeing internal security, intelligence, and acting as a secret police. Putin is 64 years old. He's married. He has a couple of kids. He was the president of Russia between 2000 and 2008. He was term limited from seeking a third consecutive term and was appointed as the prime minister from 2008 to 2012 by the next president and then became Russia's president again in 2012. No one really thinks that he was laying low in 2008 to 2012. So he has been the leader of Russia for a long time. And Sarah, I know you've been uh, digging into this, too. So anything else we should add about Putin? I think that Vladimir Putin has a distinctly different vision for Russia than previous leaders. That's probably an overstatement. I, I mean, I think that, you know, as important as sort of the hard facts of how long he's been president, I mean, I think what's really important is that he sees an expanded role for Russia in the world. He sees um, an end to sort of the balance of Western liberal democracies that kept Russia in check. I think that's what he wants to destabilize. 
And that is, I think, why Russia became more assertive in international affairs under Putin. Um, Since Putin has been in office, Russia has blamed the United States for revolutions in Georgia and Ukraine. We've clashed over the United States building an anti-ballistic missile station in Poland. That was in 2007. Now, in 2009, President Obama and Putin sort of hit it off at the G20 in London and promised a fresh start to U.S.-Russia relations. That's when Hillary Clinton and her Russian counterpart actually pressed a physical reset button. And you've probably heard that moment alluded to a lot by Donald Trump. That moment did fall pretty flat in a lot of ways, but especially because the State Department messed up the spelling on the button. So it translated to overload instead of reset, which, you know, fast forward, it was kind of uh, prophetic. So in 2010, Russia and the U.S. agreed to start reducing nuclear arsenals. It seemed like we were on a good path. But in 2011, following a legislative election in Russia, there were massive protests and Putin accused the United States of interfering and inciting unrest. Putin specifically believed that Hillary Clinton had incited unrest in the country. So again, kind of putting together some threads that you probably heard in debates and campaign ads. Putin started moving away from democracy and seeking superpower status again. He started manipulating trade policy and causing divisions within NATO, and it just kind of kept getting worse. In 2014, the United States passed the Magnitsky Act, which imposed financial and travel restrictions because of human rights abuses in Russia. This law is named after a Russian lawyer and auditor who died in a Moscow prison after investigating fraud involving Russian tax officials, uh, which unfortunately is not an uncommon occurrence for people who have caused Vladimir Putin problems. Yeah. What was the name of the uh, leader he had, opposition leader that he had poisoned? Remember, he, what happened? Remember that guy? What am I thinking about? I do. We'll have to put it in the show notes because I don't have that right in front of me. And I sort of struggle with the chronology of events. There's just so much when you start looking into people who have mysteriously died or disappeared around Putin that it's a little overwhelming. Oh, it was radiation. Yeah. Uh, Litvinenko. Litvinenko. And they gave they he was poisoned with radiation. Oh, that was really crazy. And the in London. Remember, he died in London. Yes, I do remember that. Mm, Yeah. Oh, Oh, so Putin. Putin. In 2014, Russia annexed Crimea. And at that time, President Obama called Russia a, quote, regional power rather than an international player, which did not sit well with Putin. Now Russia is supporting the Assad regime in Syria And some commentators have called Syria a proxy war between Russia and the United States. In 2016, Putin suspended a plutonium management agreement. That's kind of important with the United States saying that the United States had violated that agreement. So we're really at historic lows in the relationship between the United States and Russia, at least since the mid-1970s toward the end of the Obama administration's tenure. I read where one commentator said that he had never seen two world leaders so visibly uncomfortable with each other as Obama and Putin. And that's when Donald Trump comes along. I guess what I always struggle with with the Russia 
Trump scenario, which I know we're going to get into that timeline, is I think in my mind I want there to be this really strategic vision Vladimir Putin has for his relationship with Donald Trump. And I'm not sure if that's it. I'm not sure if it's just disruption, chaos. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I think I want a little bit more black and white goals than there might be. You know, I've been thinking the same thing about Steve Bannon. Mm. I've been trying to come up with here's a strategy and here's what Donald Trump's role is in that strategy. And in my mind, for some reason, I sort of on an emotional level would prefer it be that Steve Bannon is orchestrating this whole horrible thing. But I when I do that, you know, I miss important pieces of news and information or I interpret things through a lens that I think is more feeding my story than getting what's happening. So I don't I don't know. But but it's interesting that you said that because I've been thinking about that a lot. So let's let's go through the Trump Russia timeline then. So which is uh, keeps developing, keeps developing. I want to give mad props to Politico because they have a very detailed timeline. The New York Times has some good timelines as well. So we're drawing heavily on both of those resources and we'll put those in the show notes. Cast of characters as we go through this um, that you want to be sure that you pay attention to. Carter Page was named a foreign policy advisor to the Trump team in March of 2016. He's a banker and lived in Moscow for three years. He resigned in September, but kind of keeps popping up. You probably caught him on CNN this week if you are an Anderson Cooper fan. And he makes a lot of statements and has for, you know, since he's been in the public eye about how the United States and Western democracies are hypocritical and inhibitors of progress. So, you know, seems on his face to be a very pro-Russian dude. How did he meet Donald Trump? Do we know? I do not know the answer to that. And I would imagine that we would have a better sense of the answer if we understood all of Donald Trump's business connections. Um, But I'm not sure that we do. Jeez. You want to talk about Paul Manafort? Uh, I guess. (laughs) So uh, Paul Manafort was seen at the time that he was hired um, by Trump as his campaign manager in March 2016 as sort of like the... Do you feel like he was seen as sort of the establishment guy that was going to come in and Raymond Corey Landowski? Yeah, definitely like the adult in the room, right? Yeah, the adult. So he came in. He had recently served as a senior advisor to the pro-Russia Ukrainian president. Um, but then in August, the New York Times published an expose showing that the pro-Russia party of regions earmarked $12.7 million for Manafort. And so I don't remember why he left the campaign. Did the kids get tired of him? That seems to be how everybody left of the campaign. Well, after that expose came out, he got sort of sidelined. Trump brought in Kellyanne as the campaign manager. And then I think it was a few days later after she was named campaign manager that Manafort was out. Yeah. So, I mean, nothing was, you know, the campaign wasn't winning and he got bored. And But Manafort had, meanwhile, all these weird Russia. He's also of the famous, they don't wear a badge that says I'm a Russian official, quote, fame. And then there's Roger Stone, who is a longtime, apparently fairly close friend of Trump. He was integral to the campaign and then not part of the campaign anymore, but then is always like he's almost always lurking around every corner. That's how it feels to me. Um, If you watched Showtime's The Circus, the documentary about the campaign that was happening in real time, something about Roger Stone creeped me out in a way that I cannot describe. 
he has said lots of bizarre things in lots of forums, including on Twitter, that suggested that he knew at least what WikiLeaks had and when it would be released. And Roger Stone last night went on kind of a Twitter tirade, said some really misogynistic, abusive things toward women who were raising questions about some of the latest news, and then deleted all those tweets. He also said he was quoted in this Washington Post article I read this morning as like about Donald Trump's concern with the leaks coming from the intelligence community. He was like, he needs to clean house. He needs to fire these people, lock them out of their office and put them in prison. I was like, maybe, maybe don't say things like that. And wow, to save them on the record, like without concern is something. Seems to be how he rolls. Yeah. Well, and what's crazy to me about, I mean, less Paul Manafort, Roger Stone, but definitely Carter Page, like, it's not like he's some well-known expert. Nobody knows who the hell this dude is. Like, other Russian experts are like, ah, I don't know who he is. You know, it's just so weird that you would throw this guy onto your foreign list of, like, foreign policy advisors that nobody knows who he is. He has no seeming history beyond being, like, did you read that he'd been investigated by the intelligence community for his ties to Russia previously? I mean, it's just like he continues to surround himself with the B team or maybe the C team and and they keep getting bitten by that, right? Shoo. Okay, so we're going to walk through in some detail a timeline of Trump and Russia. And I want to say that we're doing this because I think it's really hard to know which way is up right now. And as we walk through this, like our our intention is not to assign particular weight to any of these facts. I'm not sure that we could if we wanted to, because we just don't know what's happening. But this is sort of what we know, what we do know about what has happened. So in 2013, we first saw Trump kind of get excited about Russia. He held the Miss Universe pageant there and made a public comment about Putin attending and then being BFFs because of it. And after the after the Miss Universe pageant, he tweeted that he learned a lot in Moscow and then sort of in all caps, the U.S. must be very smart and strategic. Hmm. I can't decide if what happened first was Donald Trump saw the opportunity to make money in Russia or Russia or Putin saw the opportunity to sow discord or gain power in the United States. I wonder which happened first. I almost feel like it has to be the former because in 2013, who in their right mind believed that Donald Trump was even going to run for president? Donald Trump did. I'm telling you, I was just listening to that making Oprah and he they had him on there back in the 80s. And she was like, I hear you're thinking about running for president. And he's like, I don't know, Oprah. I mean, I would do it. I would win. I'd be a great president. But I mean, he was always sort of people had asked. That was a thing that people asked him regularly. He just always blew it off. And every serious person said, oh, he won't actually do it, right? Like that, I feel like that's how the conversation went until literally the day that he came down the escalator. Yeah, no, I think that's right. So then we're going to skip forward to 2015, which is when in September of 2015, the FBI told a tech support contractor at the DNC that the DNC might have been hacked. And the contractor at that point wasn't sure if the FBI agent was real or not, which is sort of a concerning fact. Um, In November, Trump made a statement that he knew Putin well because they were on 60 Minutes together and said that he supported Putin knocking the hell out of ISIS. 
in December of 2015, Michael Flynn, who I think at that time was already starting to be affiliated with the Trump campaign, spoke on a paid basis at the Russia Today dinner. And Russia Today is a is a Russian media outlet backed by the Kremlin. Again, what was the... Uh, I'm just... I'm trying to put all this together and see... Because I don't want to do what I accused people of doing to Hillary Clinton, which was, you're saying she's doing these things, but why would she? Why would she want American soldiers to die? You know, like, why? That kind of thing. So I'm trying to be fair and do that with Trump and not just think, you know, assume and... Like, I'm trying to go back and think about intent. And I'm just struggling again with, like, why he would surround himself with people who were so pro-Russia. Because he thought maybe maybe in Donald Trump's mind there's, like, a deal to be made. That's what the strategic thing. Like, there's a deal that's that brings the United States out on top. And it, it's dependent on, like, reformulating our relationship with Putin I'm just, I'm trying. I'm trying here. Well, it's interesting to think about that because this is where Donald Trump's age might be relevant. You know, we just went through the Cold War in 15 seconds because a lot of us don't vividly remember the Cold War. But Donald Trump most certainly does. And Donald Trump's life experience has a lot of the United States and Russia competing with each other. And so if I take the most benign version of facts, I could assume that Donald Trump at least started just kind of interested in resuming that competition again, because that's his thing and wanting to make money and, you know, possibly for himself and for the United States. I don't know, but I guess I can see why he had particular interest in Russia, if I think about what Russia would mean to him versus maybe what it means to me. Does that make sense? Well, and doesn't it seem like he has this idea of like, I'm going to get in these places that nobody else can figure out, and I'm just going to get it solved. Yeah, with Israel and Palestine. Israel and Palestine and China and Mexico. And so maybe that's what he thought with Russia, too, which is this Like, well, no, I just need to get in there and make the right deal and build the wall. And they're just, you know, they're politicians and they play, but I play my my own roles and I don't have to follow the rules of diplomacy or international law, basically, or anything else. And I wonder if, like you said, like everybody else, be it Mexico, you know, Israel, Palestine, didn't take him seriously or didn't think he would win. And Putin was the only one who was like reaching out to his campaign and flattering him in a way that said like, you're right. Like you're so smart and you're going to win. And you're like saw the opportunity there more than maybe other countries or in world leaders did. And, you know, and also because he also does not obey the, the basic rules of diplomacy and international law. Like, I wonder if that's what happened. Like he, he saw the opportunity to exploit Donald Trump and to reach out to his campaign and build this partnership, you know, more than other leaders did. Well, that is kind of consistent with the timeline, right? Because so we were just in uh, December of 2015. Also in December of 2015, we had a public statement from Vladimir Putin praising Donald Trump. Putin said, he's a very flamboyant man, very talented, no doubt about that. 
side note, I can't read Putin without hearing Saturday Night Lives. Putin. <laughs> Shirtless um, Putin. But it's not our business to judge his merits, Putin said. It's up to the voters of the United States. He is an absolute leader of the presidential race as we see it today. He says that he wants to move to another level of relations, a deeper level of relations with Russia. How can we not welcome that? Of course we welcome it. And then Trump said in response, it is always a great honor to be so nicely complimented by a man so highly respected within his own country and beyond. I have always felt that Russia and the United States should be able to work well with each other towards defeating terrorism and restoring world peace, not to mention trade and all of the other benefits derived from mutual respect. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what happened. I think that Putin saw an opening like I'm sure he has like psychological profiles built on Trump and he saw the opportunity to, you know, exploit this man and his narcissism. I think that's a really critical difference between Putin and Donald Trump. And I do not at all want to be heard saying anything that is complimentary of Putin. Putin is a former KGB official. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is a real estate developer. And an and a heir who's sort of always had money in excess and never been challenged. Just putting that out there, too. So if you are looking to understand the dynamics of geopolitical posturing and psychological profiling. I think my money is on Putin between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's highly possible that every word Putin has said about Trump has been calculated in a way that perhaps President Trump's words have not been. Well, and honestly, if we're asking, like, where did Carter Page come from? Is there the possibility that Putin was putting these the reason we're so dumbfounded by the source of some of these contacts and the source of some of these um, hires. I mean, what if it was Russia? What if it was Putin saying, oh, you know, who's a really great, smart guy, Carter Page? Hey, you know who would really turn your campaign around? Paul Manafort. Like, who's to know? And see, I want to just say, oh, no, 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 no. But what got to me when I was putting this timeline together is all the way back to 2015, Every single thing that came next, I would have said, definitely not. Right. And so I'm now at this place where I don't have a gut check anymore on what is possible or probable. Well, and also it's so disturbing to me. Like I remember at one point reading an article and I thought, oh, my God. So he started making this relationship with Putin right about the time he started doing the birther stuff, which really most people cite as the beginning of his actual political ambition like what if that's what happened what if putin was like no this you're who the united states needs you need to start getting your name out there you need to start undercutting obama just finished a court of thorns and roses and craving another fantasy world to devour dipsy's got you dive into spicy enemies to lovers tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes they've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk late night or long bath Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. 
That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. They say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsy. Well, so in March of 2016, March 19th, a fateful day in our history, mm-hmm. John Podesta received an email instructing him to change his password, John Podesta with the Hillary Clinton campaign. A Clinton campaign staffer erroneously told John Podesta that that email was legitimate. And so he changed he his password. He tried to write poor, this poor man. This this history is rife with poor tech support people. But he said, like, didn't he say I meant to write not legit and just didn't write the not? I, I want to put somewhere this history is rife with poor tech people because yeah. there's so much of that in this story. That's what <laughs> and, I'm saying. And that's going to continue to be, right? I mean... I think our technology is shaping our politics in a way that no one could have foreseen Mm -hmm. reasonably. And And our lawmakers are not responding accordingly. No, they're not. There's like no policy about privacy protection or the rules that should be in place to protect citizens. But that's another podcast. Well, and what kind of training do tech support people who work in politics need that maybe hasn't even been developed yet? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's out there and I'm not aware of it because certainly we're way out of my realm. But... 
Okay, so Podesta changes his password, which allows Russian hackers access to his account. And then a few days later, the same thing happens to another Clinton staffer. And you kind of know what happens from there. In April 2016, Trump gave a foreign policy address calling for better relations with Russia. And the Russian ambassador to the U.S. was there in a literal front row seat. Of course. In that speech, Trump said, We desire to live peacefully and in friendship with Russia and China. We have serious differences with these two nations and must regard them with open eyes, but we are not bound to be adversaries. We should seek common ground based on shared interest. Russia, for instance, has also seen the horror of Islamic terrorism. I believe in easing of tensions and improved relations with Russia from a position of strength only is possible, absolutely possible. Common sense says this cycle, this horrible cycle of hostility must end and ideally will end soon. Good for both countries. Some say the Russians won't be reasonable. I intend to find out. If we can't make a deal under my administration, a deal that's great, not good, great for America, but also good for Russia, then we will quickly walk away from the table. It's as simple as that. We're going to find out. And that speech was really praised at the time. I remember us talking about it, Sarah. I mean, I think that it's just we do. I mean, with love, we do not have shared interest with Vladimir Putin because you respond to strength and you think he's powerful and you're powerful. And that means we have shared interest. No, Vladimir Putin does not have a shared interest with us in the spread of liberal democracy. I'm sorry. He does not like That's not true. That's not true. So in May of 2016, James Clapper says publicly that there are some indications of cyber attacks aimed at presidential campaigns, which turns out to be an understatement as history Mm -hmm. unfolds. In June 2016, we have Carter Page, who we talked about at the beginning, saying that Putin is a stronger leader than Obama. And we also have the publication of some DNC emails by Guccifer 2.0. Is that how you Hmm. say that, Sarah? Sure. (laughs) Anyway, some DNC emails find their way to the internet. In July of 2016, three Trump advisors, including Carter Page again, uh, meet with the Russian ambassador in Cleveland right around the RNC. Wait, where in the timeline did he say he hopes Russia hacks her emails? I think that's later. Okay. Um, so in Cleveland, they they talk about they have some meeting talking about improving Russia-U.S. relations. Same week, Republican National Con- Convention adopts its party platform um, with some language on Ukraine. I, I don't want to read all of this, but but basically it was reported that the Trump team advocated for weaker language about the Ukraine than the RNC wanted to adopt. So the RNC platform ended up saying, we will not accept any territorial change in Eastern Europe imposed by force in Ukraine, Georgia, or elsewhere, and we will use all appropriate constitutional measures to bring to justice the practitioners of aggression and assassination. Washington Post says the Trump campaign worked behind the scenes last week to make sure the new Republican platform won't call for giving weapons to Ukraine to fight Russian and rebel forces contradicting the view of almost all Republican foreign policy leaders in Washington. But then Trump's team (sighs) said, no, that's not true. It didn't come from us. Okay, and then July 20th, as we now know, Jeff Sessions met with the Russian ambassador. 
Then WikiLeaks gets started. Debbie Wasserman Schultz resigns. There are also, more leaks. And it's right there. July 27th is when he called for them to find her missing emails. More leaks, more warm statements about Russia. In August, Trump gets his first classified briefing and learns about direct links between the Russian government and the email hacks. That's when he named Kellyanne Conway as his campaign manager and Paul Manafort fades to the background and then resigns. In September, President Obama and James Clapper make public statements about Russia's involvement in the hacks. Trump and Pence, both in September of 2016, say that Putin is more of a leader than Obama is. Trump tells Russia today. No, I think that's an appropriate sound effect. (laughs) Trump tells Russia today that Russia probably isn't behind the attacks and that the Democrats were just floating that story. Or it could be the 400-pound guy. Let's not forget that. Right. Well. The 400-pound guy comes on the scene then, right? It's, it could be anybody. September 8th, Jeff Sessions has another meeting with the Russian ambassador. There are more leaks, more Trump uh, questioning. You know, there are more questions to Trump during the debates where he sort of skirts the Russia issue and, and makes the comments about this could be anyone. I don't know. RNC had better security than the DNC, and that's why this happened. Um, November 9th. After Trump is elected, the Russian parliament broke into applause when his election was announced. And and then in December, Carter Page appears in Russia saying he's there to meet with business leaders and thought leaders. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Thought leaders. In, <laughs> in late December, December 26th, a former KGB official who is believed to have been assisting with the dossier that was being put together by a British intelligence agent on Trump's relationships with Russia was found dead in his car. Now we've reached full James Bond level spy movie plotline. People being shot in their car. December 20 December 29th, the Obama administration sanctions Russia for its involvement in the election. And then you kind of know what happened from there. So January, February, Trump is inaugurated. The intelligence community now says definitively that Russia intended to influence our election. Trump still doesn't agree with that assessment. Um, You have all of the issues with Michael Flynn and his resignation. Then Jeff Sessions says in his confirmation hearing that he's not had any communication with the Russian government, yet it turns out that he had several meetings with the Russian ambassador. He's now recused himself from any investigation into the election. And that's important because it's a limited recusal, right? And a recusal is not any admission of wrongdoing. And there is not an active investigation into Jeff Sessions personally right now. So I don't want anybody to take recusal to mean something that it doesn't. It's just him stepping away from the active investigation on what happened during the election. And then because things weren't interesting enough, President Trump accused President Obama of wiretapping Trump Tower during the election. And Mm. today, Corey Lewandowski, we're recording on Sunday, Corey Lewandowski said that President Obama also had listened in on meetings in Senator Sessions' office. Mm. And that's where we are. I think there's also, I was just thinking as you're going through, there's almost like this other timeline. So I think there's also the timeline of sort of, the Obama administration's knowledge of the investigations. And I think that in particular, you know, the decision of the Obama administration not to 
sort of publicly discuss the the information the investigation the intelligence community was gathering and there's this there's reporting that there was a meeting with Mitch McConnell and he said if you do this I'll make it partisan and I'll make it look like you know you were doing this to for partisan gain right before the election Obama I think and you know clearly incorrectly believing that Hillary Clinton was going to win and not wanting to um go out you know leave his last days in office be disrupted by this partisan legacy busting decision made the wrong call I think we can all agree he made the wrong call at this point um and decided not to publicly discuss or I, I don't know what the like to let go let out some of the information but you know the new york times recently reported that they also made the decision to sort of distribute this intelligence gathering across officials across um organizations because they were concerned about evidence being destroyed once the trump administration came into the white house so that's bananas and then also, I think you have this media timeline, right, of how the leaks came out. So you have the dossier coming out from BuzzFeed in early January. Then you have, um, it's like every time something happens, another leak. So it's it's Michael Flynn and in the intelligence community being like, okay, you're not telling the attorney general. She tells Trump he doesn't do anything. It's almost like you can see their whoever these leaks are being like, well, that they're not going to do anything. So we're going to have to go to the press like they give it to the acting attorney general. She gives it to Trump. Nothing happens. So they say, OK, we're just going to have to release this information about Flynn to the national media. And then you see like nothing. But no, then nothing happens with once Flynn resigns, then it, it sort of dies down again because this whole entire thing is amorphous. It doesn't have a clear storyline because it doesn't have a clear and like there's no clear intent that we can identify like you and I are both struggling with. But like, why? Why is he doing this? What's going on with Russia? Okay, so and then it dies down again. And then you have he has sort of a positive news day with the speech. Then you have sessions. And it's like every time. And so I, you can you can feel the Trump administration trying to preemptively uh, prevent more of these with Jared Kushner now saying coming out and saying he met with Russian officials like they're trying to at least prevent the oh, they lied and they did meet with Russian officials storyline. But I know this is an incredibly overused phrase at this point, but where there is smoke, there is fire. And clearly there's something going on here. We still don't have the same, new, the same in the entirety of the story. Poor Harry Reid is looking a lot less crazy than when he came out and said, there's so much more to this and nobody understands. And it's just so deep and, and also, oh yeah, there's just so much to it because on top of this, in the entirety of the timeline you just listed with Trump is the this the the reality that he has not released his tax returns, and there has to be a reason why. And so we don't know the the ties of his, his even before this timeline with his interactions with the campaign began with Russia. Like, what are his business ties to Russia? It's just there's so much. He hasn't released his tax returns. He's had multiple appointees. Um, step back from that process because they couldn't get their business interests sorted out prior to confirmation. You also have the intelligence community timeline, right? Because yeah. it because we we keep saying the intelligence community like it's all one body, it's not. Mm -hmm. So, what was known in different agencies at different times and how and by whom and how did that information circulate around? It's so, as you read all of this, it looks like the Clinton campaign truly was taken by surprise. Like they yeah. truly had no idea what was coming at them and how serious it was. Because, because when you read this in retrospect and remember that Hillary Clinton is running around the nation doing like 
peace, love, and harmony, everybody, like Broadway singers and Stronger Together, like, isn't that a bizarre juxtaposition through the lens of history only a few months out? Well, you know what? Forget bizarre juxtaposition. Like, if I want to tap a deep well of rage, the fact that Hillary Clinton was being accused of the, you know, she doesn't have any respect for the intelligence community and classified information. And she is the threat and she is the one that doesn't have any respect for, you know, our inner, our diplomatic relationships. And she's the one who's the threat. She's the threat. She doesn't understand. She's the threat. And this whole time we have a campaign just throughout at all levels in constant communication with Russia. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. They continue to be such a contradiction because. You have Trump complaining about all these leaks, yet he continues to have important discussions at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Which is basically like the new patio situation room or something. How is he so dense he thinks the leaks are his problem? I'm honestly asking that. How is he so dense that he thinks in this hurricane, like, that I, I just, I'm so dumbfounded by the fact that if they're saying you're not even saying they're lying about you at this point you're just saying they're leaking information that you don't want people to know and you don't understand why that's a problem so again i really struggle with whether donald trump is like an evil genius or an oaf right who's being manipulated by other people or a complicated mixture of of good intentions and poor execution I don't know the answer to to what he is or what his role in everything is. I do feel pretty comfortable at this point saying that I think he seriously misunderstands our legal system mm-hmm. because the tweets about the Obama surveillance mm-hmm. of Trump Tower would indicate either that he thinks President Obama unilaterally had the power to order a wiretapping, which is incorrect. Mm -hmm. Or that the Obama administration obtained a warrant in order Mm -hmm. to wiretap Trump Tower. And you don't just get a warrant by saying like, hmm, I'm interested. I'm curious about some things. Let's listen. Especially throughout. Can you imagine a judge being asked to authorize that wiretap in the midst of a presidential campaign? Well, and it seems like there if you sort of, you know, follow the yellow brick road from what clearly he was seeing on Breitbart with regards to this story they're pushing that Obama was wiretapping the Trump campaign. If you kind of follow it back, I read some reporting in the Washington Post or I don't remember if it was the Post or Political about it started with this um, article by Louise Minch. Did you read about this? That there does seem to be some evidence unsubstantiated that maybe there was a, a wiretap for an email server at Trump Tower. But again, that doesn't get you there. And it's such a does I think you're I think it's the first one. I think he doesn't understand that a president can't just order wiretaps because we have elected the most inexperienced president in our history who does not understand the legal process despite being sued throughout his entire life. Um, So I don't think he gets that part of it. I think that's true. But I also think that he is just basing, he's pissed. He's pissed He his nice speech got railroaded. He's pissed this Russia stuff won't go away. And instead of being forthcoming, which I don't think is in his makeup, 
then he just keeps blaming other people and getting pissed at the leakers. And now he's decided it's President Obama's fault. And the idea that he would either, uh, yeah, that that Obama would do this in violation of the law, either one or he just, it wouldn't even matter. He couldn't. I don't. Mm, so frustrating. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. So when the Trump campaign seemed like everything had gone off the rails, he changed people out. 
And I wonder if that's the next move, if some people get changed out. Because Politico reported that Steve Bannon and Reince Priebus were supposed to go to Mar-a-Lago with him this weekend, that he had a rage-filled meeting on Friday before he left with his senior team, including Jared and Ivanka, and that Bannon and Priebus stayed behind. But then I Mm. guess Bannon eventually joined him there. So I wonder if the next iteration will be replacing some parts because that's how he seemed to handle the chaos throughout his campaign. Something doesn't work. Let me put somebody new in the chair. Yeah, but I mean, I don't think unless but Bannon is sort of the consistent voice, right? He's been there. Now, his positioning might have changed, but it doesn't seem like he's gone anywhere. Now, if he fires Priebus, which seems to me probably the most likely step, I don't think that's going to change anything. It's not going to stop the leaks if you fire your chief of staff, dude. Like, because that's not the problem. The problem is you're doing a bad job. There's something you're trying to hide and it will eventually get out. Well, it's interesting with all of this that so many people seem to be under the impression that details will not come out or they truly don't see the significance of those details. And this is the thing I've been thinking about with Jeff Sessions. So I fully understand the perspective that Jeff Sessions, that, that people who have confidence and faith in Jeff Sessions believe that he was asked about whether he met with Russian officials as a member of the Trump campaign and that he answered in that capacity and that, in fact, he had meetings with the Russian official as a senator and did not answer in that capacity and that his intention was not to conceal or deceive. He just answered wearing one hat and forgetting about the other. Now, I also understand the uh, deep skepticism that people who do not have faith and confidence in Jeff Sessions would hold hearing that explanation. I mean, because with love, why were you meeting with him under your like, what what were you talking about, dude? Like, why were you meeting with him as a senator? Nobody else from the armed services or arm, yeah, armed services committee meets with him. What were you talking about? We're just supposed to trust you that the contents of your conversation had nothing to do with this campaign of which you were regularly acting as a surrogate and who he had also met with other members from this campaign. Seriously? And I also understand people who hear all of this and are fatigued with what they view as a media that is constantly trying to bring down the Trump administration or um, senators who act like lawyers and all of this is, you know, legal nonsense. Here's the thing. Jeff Sessions. A lot of those senators are lawyers. Side note. Well, they are. And Jeff Sessions is now the top lawyer in the country. So he needs to be really clear about lawyer nonsense, right? He needs to be the most careful about things like perjury and with clarifying questions and answering questions directly. That is his job. A lot of people could get a pass in some circumstances about the way they interpret something, but but Jeff Sessions is the attorney general, Mm-hmm. And that's why I have such a problem with his testimony, especially as you read it back and see that he he never answered the question that was asked. And he volunteered his personal circumstances, which was not the question that was asked. Mm-hmm. So it's really concerning just from a competence standpoint, the way that testimony unfolded. Well, and I think that, you know, the Vox 
uh, Weeds podcast of this really interesting sort of summary on the history of the independent council and that, you know, it started with Ford, uh, some of the Carter administration officials were burned by it. Reagan clearly with Iran-Contra what, um, got swept up in it. Then you have all the way up through Clinton and the um, started off with, and can I just say the, the, again, deep well of fury that they were talking about, oh, well, this independent council started with a land deal in Arkansas. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's so important that we, as the Republican Party, inter- investigate a land deal but we can't investigate this seriously. Cool. Okay. So they did that. It led to the him lying under oath of, during the Paula Jones case, which led to the impeachment. Okay. And then with when George um, W. Bush became president, it was sort of like that led the the creation of the independent council came up again before Congress, and they got rid of it. So there is no independent council anymore, which I did not under, did not realize. So it is wholly and completely up to either Congress or the executive branch to investigate this, which is why I think we. It feels like we just have all that we the only tool our current democracy has to um, look into this is basically leaks because the administration is not doing anything. Congress is not doing anything. And so that's where where we're at. And I just wonder I, I wonder how heavy the heat has to get. You know, they were saying, like, well, what happens if General Mattis says to you know, General Mattis has no love for Russia. So what happens if he goes to Republican senators um, who are also sort of anti-Russia and says, I can't I will quit if something doesn't happen. Like I cannot maintain my space within this administration, knowing what I know now or, you know, in the face of the ongoing sort of Russia story. Like, I wonder how bad it has to get before something happens. Do we just have to wait till 2018? I don't know. And this is the comforting and difficult thing about military professionals being so prominent in the administration because you have to imagine what a difficult situation it is when the chain of command is so ingrained in you and the respect for the commander-in-chief, whomever that person is. I mean, you know, you come up in the military, you have respect for the position, not the person, right? And so we're sort of hoping that the military professionals in the administration save all of us that is asking an awful lot of them and more of them than a civilian similarly situated. Yeah, I mean, I, I I like General Mattis. I think he seems like a smart guy in the new, as it McMaster. Mm-hmm. But we did not elect them, right? They seem like smart, thoughtful guys, but our entire democracy should not be propped up by generals and it's well, disconcerting. by generals whom I think many of us are hoping would have the moral fortitude to undermine the commander in chief when that's Mm. just so um, that's just not the way right of, of the military. So it's, that's hard. I mean, this is all really hard and I don't understand you're right about the Republican hypocrisy here because I think that I think ethics and government are important and should be investigated. I think Republicans have grossly overdone that several times and have done really stupid things like have Twitter handles about the Benghazi committee that show blatant partisanship instead of actual investigation to have done that for the last decade and then to just sit back like, well, 
this will all kind of work itself out. To, to hear people like Ted Cruz saying, no, I'm not concerned at all about my friend Jeff and his, co- his testimony, it's really concerning to me. And, and, not, and it's more than concerning. Like, I kind of feel like my hair's on fire, and I don't get there very often. Well, and the thing about it is, that is a strong gamble. Because if this turns out to be something, which I would be shocked at this point if it's not, because there is just so much contact between the Trump campaign and Russia, it is going to be, the blowback will be blistering. You know, at what point does, you know, you might win, maybe you win again, maybe you won't, or may, and maybe just history will look at you as the hypocritic fool that you are. Like, do you care? Maybe you don't. I don't know. I think people like John McCain and Lindsey Graham care. So you know, at what point do you have to say this and no further? Well, to look like a hypocritical fool is almost the best case scenario at mm-hmm. this point. Mm-hmm. To look like somebody who, you know, prioritized partisanship over the security of your country is becoming an increasingly likely scenario. And hopefully there's no real cost to that. That's yeah. the question. We just don't know. But if there is, if all of these dots connect in some way or if some of these dots connect in some way that is nefarious and i as i sit here i do not know if that is true this is a really dangerous situation and to be to be wholly partisan is the best the best outcome and that's well, sad and also it's just it's not just about us it's not just about the united states russia has gone into Crimea. Russia is, you know, poor Sweden is turning their draft back on. Like, people feel threatened by Vladimir Putin's vision of the world. These are people's lives. These are people's sovereign nations and the boundaries of those sovereign nations at risk. And to play fast and loose with the truth and with disclosure and transparency in the face of this man who has assassinated opposition and who has perpetuated and worsened the greatest humanitarian crisis of our time in Syria is just disgusting. And that is all to say nothing of North Korea Mm. and the escalating situation that we continue to learn more about from North Korea. You're right. It's as if all this is happening in a vacuum. And it's definitely not. And if you're a Republican and you're doing, you're kind of sitting on your hands in service of a domestic agenda, and you look at the theatrics and the complete circus that is the domestic agenda right now, mm. what, like, what is the plan here from anyone? It feels like there is no plan. <laughs> I think it is accurate to say there is no plan. There is no strategy. And I read this, you know, Donald Trump is upset because he feels like these leaks are a threat to the security um, issues with North Korea. Well, damn right they are. And that's your fault, dude. Like you're, you know, discrediting of our intelligence community and undercutting them at every turn. You know, it wasn't everybody said this is a threat. This is a problem. Undermining these institutions is problematic. And now you sit back and you say, well, they need to do what I say and stop leaking. Like, ugh. It's so interesting, too, because we still don't have a new executive order on travel restrictions. It's supposed to be coming tomorrow. So that situation, it's supposed to have been coming for like weeks, though, right? And I mean, that situation that was allegedly an emergency and bad, bad things were going to happen to the United States absent that order. And we can't give people any lead time on it because then the bad guys will come in before the doors close. 
again, I say, like, what is the plan? I, I want I almost at this point want to have like heroes and villains clearly sorted out. Mm. And I just don't think that's possible in this situation. And I also find myself pulled so significantly by the desire to respect and believe in the president of the United States. I don't want to sit and root against Donald Trump. I don't want to learn bad facts about Donald Trump, right? I want, even though I disagree with him on a lot and think he is not qualified for the office that he's in, I respect our country. I respect our process. I want to respect that office. And so I just, I don't know how to filter this information in wisely. Yeah, I feel no obligation to root for Donald Trump anymore. I think that he is, because I love those institutions, I think that he is the greatest threat to them currently. So what's the what's the right outcome then? I guess that's a good way to wrap up. Mm. I think a special prosecutor is critical. I don't know beyond that. Yeah, I mean, I think we, the, I, 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 the other struggle I have with this, like sort of the outcome, I, I wish the leakers, whoever they may be, like I'm kind of intrigued by the strategy of the slow leak. And I don't, but maybe it's because the investigation is go- ongoing and they don't have all the information yet. Or maybe the people that are leaking it are having trouble. I don't know. But like, I just kind of want to be like, can somebody just tell us what happened? <laughs> can somebody just please? Let it all out. Can somebody in the IRS leak his tax returns? Like, I know I'm Donald Trump at this in this scenario, just asking people to leak, but at least they're Americans, not Russians. Like, I just, it's so hard to take the trickle and take this incomplete information and for and say like what we think should happen because I don't know. I don't know what's going on to, in order to say what outcome I want. And it is possible, kind of ending where we began. It's possible that what's going on is not a story, Mm. right? That what's going on is a hundred stories and many of them unrelated and some of them without any intention. Uh, It's just a mess. And it's, I'm not sure that we're ever going to have an understanding of this that's fully satisfying. That's an uplifting note to end on. I know. I appreciate everybody joining us for this um, power hour. Well, up next, we're going, we are going to keep the pearls because Lord knows we need it. So what are you thinking about this week, Beth? I've mostly been thinking about Russia, (laughs) to be honest with you. Um, No, I thought a little bit more about the app that we discussed a couple of episodes ago that would be a substitute for Smalltalk. And I have an addition to it. So if you didn't join us for that episode, um, we were talking about how I cut a lot of hair off and I wish that I could just have like a little balloon appear by my head that says, yes, I did cut my hair. Um, Here's why. And thank you very much for not making me discuss it anymore. But I thought it would be neat if that app could like add a line that said, here's what I do want to talk about. You know mm. what I mean? So that you could just initially, almost like when you go to a restaurant or something and the name tag says, like, ask me about my passion for boating. Like something like that where you cut out what you don't want to address, but then say to people, meet me where I am. 
Or you could just railroad people. That's what I do. I mean, I've just forced everyone I've met in the last week to talk about the Making Oprah app, whether they wanted to, whether they watched Oprah, whether they cared. I just I just force it on people. You can take that route. It works fine. I mean, nobody left angry. I think people just sort of roll their eyes at me at this point. But when I'm obsessed with something like that, I just, I can't not talk about it. <laughs> but I will say what I'm thinking. And you had a birthday, too. Let's not forget your birthday. Happy birthday, Beth. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, I had a... I've been thinking about Lent. Um, my church has got all these like sort of fun seems like the wrong word for Lent, but um, engaging Lenten activities. So one is the Lenten madness. I don't know if anybody has seen this, but it's like a bracket of saints and you vote for your favorite saint out of a two matchup every day. And then you get like the best saint at the end. It's totally fun. And you learn a lot of interesting tidbits about saints. So I've been doing that. And also for um, Lent, I, I don't, I am not a person who usually gives up things for Lent. I haven't in several years, but this year I decided to delete Facebook and Twitter from my phone, which has been intense. Now I'm not off Facebook altogether, but it is significantly reduced the time I'm on Facebook. So I have to like sort of get in front of my computer and spend a few moments checking the notifications. I mean, and it's crazy how often over the last week I've just found myself looking at the Facebook ads app because I left that on my phone and I just un- almost unconsciously swipe down, start typing the F and then click the Facebook thing. Like, and I'm like, wait, why am I in Facebook ads? Oh my God. It's because I was trying to open Facebook. It's sort of disturbing. Do you give up things for Lent? No, it's never been a part of my tradition. So, um, so I don't do that. But it's, it's been a good, it's so far, it's been a good experiment and just awareness of how I was moving through the life with constantly tethered to Facebook and Twitter. I deleted the Facebook app off my phone. I guess it's been five years ago because I was in a writing course and we watched this video from oh, Pema Children about Dunsey or Dunsey or something like that. And it's basically this concept that we're constantly looking for things to distract us from the present moment. And so I kind of got into that idea for a while and I deleted the app off my phone. And it did make me realize how almost Pavlovian I was Mm -hmm. about checking in on social media. Yeah. I mean, I still get my phone out and I'm like, ugh. now I'm really on top of email right now because I'm like, okay, I'll check email. But (laughs) like it, 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 it's, you know, I, I read once that it's the you know the social experiment with the rats and they give them the lever to press and they press it way more if a treat comes out randomly than if a treat comes out every time and that's facebook and twitter and even email like you know the random great feeling you get it's not every time you open facebook that something fantastic happens but occasionally it does and um you keep you just keep pressing it more and more and more and more i mean i think it's i have a chemical I mean, I think I am absolutely, I would use the word addicted. Like I know I can see myself reaching for it and doing it in certain moments. And so I'm just trying to be hyper aware of that behavior in an effort to, um, well, right now it's just, I'm just going to ease up on myself and not try to fix it. I'm just trying to be aware. So that's my Lenten awareness is what I've been thinking about this week. There's a lot of research on that too, right? How even just getting an email, you know, you get endorphins released. Yeah. I guess it's the sense of like someone needs me or the world's reaching out to me in some way. I don't know. But it is kind of scary when we think about awareness is a good place to start. Yeah. that's what, So that's what I'm working on this week. So we did the book club last week. So I want to take um, a quick moment or on Friday to thank 
um, some of our new subscribers that we have and our all-star subscribers since they didn't get um, thanked last week. So thanks to Stephanie and Charlotte for supporting Pantsuit Politics, as always. And we have to thank our subscribers, but especially our all-star subscribers, Melissa, Tracy, Tracy, Ashley, Audrey, Christine, Nicolette, Paige, Sydney, and Priya. We'll be back with you on Friday for another episode. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you to our producer, Nicholas Holland, and to our chief creative officer, Dante Lima, for all the work they do to make Pantsuit Politics possible. And to all of you for making this community so special. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Pantsuit Politics, or Instagram at Pantsuit Politics. Please leave us your feedback and send us your ideas for show topics and Pantsuit Primers on social media, or you can email us at sarah at or beth at